And the Lord reveals himself at Sinai. Uh, Exactly two months after the Israelites left Egypt, they arrived in the wilderness of Sinai. And after breaking camp at Rephidim, they came to the wilderness of Sinai and set up camp there at the base of Mount Sinai. Then Moses climbed the mountain to appear before God. The Lord called to him from the mountain and said, Give these instructions to the family of Jacob. Announce it to the descendants of Israel. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Isn't that amazing? This is God's idea of this rebellious people took them on eagles' wings and brought them to himself. That's what God's doing to you this morning. Now, if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples on earth. For all the earth belongs to me. And you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. What does the New Testament say that you and I are? A holy kingdom, a priesthood, right? This is the message you must give to the people of Israel. His original intent was to work through Israel. Israel bombed out in flaming debris. It was a train wreck. But God started working through the Gentiles and spread it out and put a different spirit, a different covenant, where he said, I will put it on your hearts. You won't have to just read it from a book. I'll put it in your hearts. And what he's saying there is what happens to you when you're just about to do something that you know you shouldn't do, and that little... That is it being written on our hearts, right? So Moses returned from the mountain and called together the elders of the people and told them everything the Lord had commanded him. And all the people responded together, we will do everything the Lord has commanded. Good intention. Not so good in the practical. But nonetheless, they were eager to begin with. So Moses brought the people's answer back to the Lord. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will come to you in a thick cloud, Moses, so the people themselves can hear when I speak with you, then they will always trust you. God knows our human nature. He knows how to, how to work us. He made us, right? Moses told the Lord what the people had said. Then the Lord told Moses, go down and prepare the people for my arrival. Consecrate them today and tomorrow and have them wash their clothing. Be sure they are ready on the third day, for on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai as all the people watch. Now, do you really think that washing their clothes had anything to do with God coming near? Come on, it's clothes. Oh, I got some dust on my clothes. God's not going to come near. No, he's trying to paint a picture. He's trying to tell them something about preparing themselves before they come to him. So he just used some... Symbolic, symbolic activity. Go wash your clothes. And that'll and say, why am I washing my clothes? Because I'm going to meet with the Lord. I'm going to go meet with the Lord. I've got to have clean clothes on. But God used it. It's the same as all of the laws, the 636 laws and regulations that were uh, put upon the Israeli people, the Jews. It wasn't, some of them had some health benefits. Some of them didn't. But it was purely to cause them to think, I am different. I'm following God. I'm doing this because I am different. I belong to something different. I am of a different lineage. And all these regulations were just ways that on a daily basis, moment by moment, God was reminding, hey, you're different. You're different than those out there. And they knew it by all the things that they had to, had to do.
Verse 12, mark off a boundary all around the mountain. Warn the people, be careful. Do not go up on the mountain or even touch its boundaries. Anyone who touches the mountain will certainly be put to death. Hmm. No hand may touch the person or animal that crosses the boundary. Instead, stone them or shoot them with arrows. Can you imagine? God's pretty serious about how you come into his presence. He's pretty serious about it. They must be put to death. However, when the ram's horn sounds a long blast, then the people may go up on the mountain. Again, he's just saying, I want you to do it in order, and I have a way I want you to do it. Because just running up the mountain is not respecting order or structure. And God loves order and structure. He loves it. If you look at the universe and you look at the world, it is incredibly well-ordered to the most minute thing. Our God is a detail guy. He is a detail guy. So Moses went down to the people. He consecrated them for worship, and they washed their clothes. He told them, get ready for the third day. Until then, abstain from having any sexual activity. On the morning of the third day, thunder roared and lightning flashed and a dense cloud came down on the mountain. And they found that mountain. You know, how many know they found that mountain in in Saudi Arabia? It's in Saudi Arabia. And the actual mountain, a lot of people, traditionally they say Mount Sinai is in Egypt. Well, it's not. I was on the top of Mount Sinai in Egypt. And uh, it's, it's very interesting and it's got a wonderful view and... It's great. It takes a whole night to climb it, and we just watch the sunrise up there. It's really beautiful. Um, but that's not Mount Sinai. But for 1,800 years, people said that's Mount Sinai, so that's what Mount Sinai is, right? Don't struggle with tradition. There was a long, loud blast from a ram's horn, and all the people trembled. Moses led them out from the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. All of Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord had descended on it in the form of fire. And this mountain in Mount Sinai, the video you see at the top, the whole top of the mountain is black and charred, the rock. It's like the rock is is burnt. So the smoke billowed into the sky like smoke from a brick kiln and the whole mountain shook violently. As the blast of the ram's horn grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God thundered his reply. The Lord came down on the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses climbed the mountain. It's interesting here. Then the Lord told Moses, go back down and warn the people not to break through the boundaries to see the Lord or they will die. There we have it again. They're getting all all excited. Even the priests who regularly come near to the Lord must purify themselves so the Lord does not break out and destroy them. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? This incredible God that's charring the rock, that is threatening death for anyone that comes near him without proper walking in the proper way and with proper instruction. So then we jump over to... The New Testament, Hebrews 12, 18 to 19. This is beautiful. You have not come to a physical mountain. Now we're talking, this is the New Testament. This is the writer of Hebrews jumping us thousands of years into the future. You have not come to a physical mountain, to a place of flaming fire, darkness, gloom, and whirlwind as the Israelites did at Mount Sinai. And aren't we glad for that? Thank you. Goes on to say in verse 22, 
No, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to countless thousands of angels in a joyful gathering. When you and I come before the Lord, that's what we're coming before. I wish we could take our eyes and see in the spiritual realm the glorious joy that's going on in the spiritual realm right now. But we don't, and we see this, and it takes us away from this. You have come to the assembly of God's firstborn children whose names are written in heaven. Your name somewhere is written in heaven. Like it's, it's a document. It's not like, I, I, wonder if I, I wonder if I'm even known in heaven. Yeah, 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 yeah. Your name is actually written down somewhere. Or else this is lying. So there's a legal document somewhere saying that you belong to God. I like that. You have come to God himself, who is the judge over all things. You have come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven who have now been made perfect. Oh, there's a beautiful statement. Oh, there it is. Spirit. So our spirit will live on. Thankfully, this will not. Um, but our spirits will live on. God will give us a new body. And we will have been made perfect. This is what you and I are after. This is the great pursuit. This is what causes you and I the greatest angst, is that we are not perfect. And guess who reminds us of that every single day, that you are not perfect. But God is saying, don't worry, I have covered that. I've taken care of that. But one day, we will be perfect. We will be with Christ there will not be that tendency to sin. There will not be the desire to sin. There will not be that sin nature that lives in us that pushes us in the wrong direction. And it's going to be glorious. It is glorious. But be patient. Be patient with yourself. You have come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people, to the sprinkled blood which speaks of forgiveness instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of Abel. God is not crying out for vengeance. He does not have vengeance against you. He doesn't have vengeance really against the world. It has been paid for. Jesus paid the price for sin. God's focus on the world and on you is love, grace, mercy, forgiveness, tolerance, long-suffering, restoration, and renewal. That is God's sole purpose. That's the way. Sometimes he'll do it through uh, causing us to repent. Sometimes he'll do it through causing us to correct actions or whatever it is. But his purpose is to bring love and to bring the fullness of his goodness to the world. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth, on earth as it is in heaven. That's God's purpose right now. I know you and I both know, if anyone's read the Bible, that that is going to change. There is a point, and we, there's different theological debate about when it happens, but there is the fact that it's going to change, and God is going to turn into complete judgment on the earth. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be around when that happens. It's starting to happen. We're already seeing it. We're seeing judgment starting to happen. And how do we know that's happening? Because the structures of the world... The institutions of the world, the man-made institutions of the world that have led us in the wrong direction are starting to crumble. They're starting to fall apart. They're not able to do their job anymore. Governments can't provide uh, what they should for their 
uh, societies anymore. Educational system is not putting out people that are able to handle the world anymore. Nothing is working anymore. I don't want to be overly negative about that, but we're watching all of the systems that we have trusted and depended on. We're starting to see them come up short now. Our medical systems, our legal system especially. We're seeing all these structures are starting to fall apart because judgment is coming and God is declaring what is true and the fact also what is false. And he said that which will be shaken will be shaken. And he's shaking the world. And the beautiful thing about it is that, like I said at the beginning, when you and I face the struggles of the world, we should not shake. I'm not saying that accusatorily. I'm just saying we have a comforter who says you don't have to shake. You don't have to shake. You don't have to wonder about where tomorrow's coming from. You don't have to wonder how the bills are going to get paid. Do your due duty. Do the best you can. And God will take care of the rest. But you should not. Jesus said it very clearly. He said the world chases after these things. You should not be worried about these things. You should not be quaking and scared. Because that means there's somehow we haven't been perfected in love. Because the Bible says fear is evidenced when we're not perfected in love. We don't understand how much God loves us. We're not coming against this raging God who's going to kill people. We're coming to this glorious Father. This wonderful, glorious, graceful, caring Father. goes on to say in verse 28, Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, unshakable, doesn't matter what the world does to what's in you. It is not going to knock Jesus out of you. <laughs> You're not going to go through something and all of a sudden lose Jesus. Where did he go? He said, I will never, ever forsake you. You may be laying on a hospital gurney. You may be in prison. You may be in the throes of addiction. You may be in the middle of a divorce. You may be in the middle of the greatest event in your life. It doesn't matter what it is. Jesus is right there with you. He's right in the middle of of it with you. And if you're celebrating, he's celebrating with you. And if you're crying, he's crying with you. But God is in the middle. Let us be thankful. And then it says this. Please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe. For our God is a devouring fire. So here, isn't this interesting? That we're being told this about him. That yes, God's approach to us has changed, but his divine essence has not. That we still need to approach him with awe, with respect, and with humility. That we have to approach him because he is a devouring fire. And why do I say all of this? At the be- I believe that spiritual warfare on a Sunday, begins when you walk through that door. And that's why we are trying to institute this quiet before the service starts at 1030. We have come to meet with God. And we have not come, and I know we live in a world where they're trying to turn church into a fun cultural experience so everybody will like it and come back. I don't particularly agree with that. I believe 
that for the saint who's coming into the church, I believe that we should come with the knowledge that we are coming to prepare ourselves to meet with God, to hear from God. And that we need to prepare ourselves, not three songs in after the worship starts, but that we come, we sit down immediately, and we prepare ourselves to meet God. Because it is spiritual warfare. It is, I'm telling you, when you come in this room and you prepare your heart, you are preparing your, the room. You are saying angels are watching. You know that scripture that says angels are watching? Paul talks about in the New Testament. He's talking about women with things on their head and hair and all that, those regulations. But at one point he says, because angels are watching. They are watching what? They are watching our behavior. They are watching our behavior because our behavior will reflect what's in here. And if we're coming in and backslapping and how you doing and la, 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 and I understand that. I mean, I, it's very hard to turn that off. It really is. But when we turn this on, where we come in and we instantly get reverent before God, I mean, we're talking 10 minutes. 10 minutes is what God is saying. Give me 10 minutes of preparation for your heart and watch what I'll do. And so that he can have presence with you. And so you can have presence with him. And also the angels are watching and they know when they're welcome. Angels know when they're welcome in a room. And the Holy Spirit knows when he is wanted in a room. And us jumping around, clap, or talking and, and joking and guffawing uh, is not the way that the Holy Spirit is percolated in a service. Now, afterwards, we do it, you know, have a party, right? But at the beginning, we're coming in and we're saying, Father, I'm here to meet you. Thankfully, I don't have to worry about getting stoned and hit with an arrow. Because God said, come boldly into the throne room of grace. Now, bold, that's not a good translation. And I'll end with this. The bold is not maybe what we see. You know, oh, I'm saving Jesus is here and you get your coffee and you're sitting. I see it in churches. I don't want to mock it. I, I don't want to look like I'm mocking it. But I just want to say it's the wrong, I think it's, it's diminishing the potential of the Sunday church experience. It is diminishing what God is capable of doing. It's not about comfort. It's not about having a coffee. It's not about greeting our small clique of people that we always stay with in church. It is about coming first and foremost to be with God and to say, Dad, I want to be open to what you're saying to me because you know what? You and I need everything we can get to go back out that door and to keep our faith intact and to keep our integrity intact. We need everything we can get. And so many people are going to churches. Someone said it to me this week. They said, talking about going, had been to a couple churches and haven't found what they like yet. And I said, there it is. It's our culture. Well, I go to this church because it does this and it gives me this and it has this and this. And instead of saying, 
I'm going to this church because I have this to give the church. That's, that's when you start walking in power. When you say, you know what? That church, uh, if the Holy Spirit may show it to you, this church needs uh, Sunday school teachers. I'm, I can do that. I may not like it particularly, but I can do it, and they need it. I'm thinking I'll do that. Being called is a great disguise for not wanting to do something. Well, I don't feel called. The fact there's a need means you are called. That's, that's it right there. That's all. Uh, someone said it to me uh, years ago, said, you've done so good, you know, you walked in your calling, you've obeyed God's calling on your life as a calling. I said, I have no sense whatsoever that I have a calling. None whatsoever. I have none whatsoever. I said, in 1994, I think it was, the district came to me and said, because we tried for a year to find a pastor, and we literally went through two or three, couldn't find any. And finally, uh, he said to me, hey, will you take care of this? That's literally, he was standing like that. He said, can you take care of this? And I went, well, I guess. I said, okay. Only guy standing. Okay. I guess we can do it. That's the call right there. That's it. There was a need. I said, okay, well, and guess what? The need hasn't changed. Seems to still be a need because I'm still here. Uh, And God knows how to move that around when he wants to. But that is, uh, back to our point, is that God is needing to be approached with awe and reverence. And if we can give him 10 minutes on a Sunday morning before we start a service to come in and just say, Father, I just want to be here with you. And if you want to say something, if you want to do something, I'm just here. But most of all, I'm just reverencing the fact that you're God and I'm not. And uh, so, amen. God is good.